Hi, I'm PJ Kwong for SGS Live, and in today's session, we're going to be talking about a topic that is top of mind for most, whether you're in business or not, and that is cybersecurity, the shifting sandstorm. Let's face it. In today's world, with modern technologies, we are overrun, whether it's at work, rest, or play. And with this evolution, privacy, information security, and cybersecurity concerns have become increasingly more important topics, especially with the threats posed by hackers. We need to understand how to best protect ourselves and our information against these threats. So, let's talk about it. In today's session, I will be joined by three SGS experts, and in a bit of a change, I'm going to be speaking to them one by one. I would like to welcome my first guest, who is responsible for cybersecurity and operations in Asia with SGS Brightsight. Welcome, Kaifan Chang. Hi, PJ. Hi, everyone. Very nice to be in this uh, live event. Uh, we have it's some hiccups, so but I think it's great. I think so too. Tell me a little bit about yourself and Brightside. So I'm, I'm, I'm Kaifan and uh, SGS Brightside is a security evaluation and certification lab that has been in this field for more than 35 years. So we've been doing uh, all kinds of device security evaluation from IP to silicon to platform to OS to uh, a device to big systems to uh, military uh, things. So Anything that contains security functionality, we are able to uh, evaluate it and help our customer to get certification. And last year, we were acquired, I believe, by SGS. Now we are a big family, and we hope we are completing the lost puzzle in SGS to offer a complete security uh, evaluation and testing certification service. Amazing. Okay. I want to focus in for the moment, though, on uh, cybersecurity with business in mind. Can you tell me a little bit about what we're going to be talking about? So uh, I think it's really great to first define what we are talking about. And when we say cybersecurity and to be relevant for the conversation today, I will say for me, cybersecurity will mean the security for devices or systems that are interconnected or connected to the internet. So that's cybersecurity for me. Okay, well, let's focus in a little bit. Now that we understand what we're talking about with cybersecurity, let's talk a little bit about the risks. Um, I guess in this interconnected world, risk is something we have to think about. So how prevalent are the risks? Um, what do we need to do to sort of like mitigate them? And, and can you be specific about what they are? Yes, when we talk about risk, it's a very important aspect of cybersecurity. Actually, it's not only security, but safety. And because what we want to avoid is that the risk is so big that we are suffering from that. And risk can be very different. If we're talking about an automotive, uh, a car, or we are talking about medical devices, if I can stop your car when you are speeding, when or if you are in a suburban area and I start to accelerate your car contactlessly or wirelessly, that can cause really serious injury to yourself or even the people around you. Or when we talk about medical device, if I'm able to hack wirelessly uh, your uh, pacemaker or things like silicon pump that are implanted in your body, then I can give you lethal uh, doses of medicine or, or insulin so that you can get into a shock. So the risk is really ranging from killing you or life-threatening to something like what we see a lot with uh, the contactless uh, connected doorbells, connected IP cameras uh, that can be hacked and show your living room, how you are with your loved ones, or even your uh, private images to the world. So it can be really diverse. And, and those are all the risks that we are facing when the devices are more connected. You know, it's interesting when we think about this interconnected world and cybersecurity. I mean, who would have thought about the pacemaker? Who would have thought about, you know, the, the doorbell? You know, we think, uh, how, how really, you know, important should security be? But I guess it really is. So let's talk about liabilities and vulnerabilities. Can you give me some examples of those? 
Yes, for, for liabilities, I think it's a really serious issue for especially business. Um, because if we take some examples uh, as GDPR, GDPR is about your general, the, the protection of your personal data. And we all see that companies, many companies are fined billions of dollars already because of the leakage of personal data. But how did that leakage of personal data come in place? Mostly through cybersecurity attack. And the GDPR, they will also look at if you have done all the, the best you can to avoid this kind of situation or to limit the data that is leaked. And if you don't do sufficient uh, work on that, and if you don't pay attention to cybersecurity, you might be fined for a, a lot of money and also you lose your reputation to your customer. That's a very serious issue. If we look at the device side, we all have seen that the cars, are like hundreds, uh, thousands of cars being recalled because of some brake system. Uh, and then we can see what happened to Tesla uh, with with some, some issues in their software. So that's uh, the, the, the big liability not only in monetary value, but also to your reputation and your confidence and trust to your customers. You know, there's a reason we call it the shifting sandstorm, because the ground is always moving beneath you. So I guess if you were to give some advice um, or, or some comments on why companies should be thinking about their security today. I think it's uh, it's three different things. Always we say there are three value propositions for security evaluation. One is that you want to prove that your product, your services are more secure than others. And that gives you a competitive advantage than your, cust uh, than your competitors. The second is to have compliance. So this is mostly the strongest point if you meet certain certification uh, or pass a certain evaluation to be able to sell your product and services in a certain market, then you need the, the security uh, evaluation. Uh, and the third part is liability that we just talked about. Um, you want to have third-party uh, companies that have looked at your solution and then say, this is good, so at least you have done the things that you can do to make sure that your solution is state of art and it's, it's take, uh, taken a look at by a trusted third party uh, such as SGS. So we, if we consider this um, value propositions, um, it is very important to see the first is the compliance. And in automotive world and in the, uh, in the medical world and, and in IoT world, uh, we all see that uh, uh, regulators or co countries are already starting to demand on that. For example, for automotive, I think this year you have already have cybersecurity uh, ready for all the new cars you are creating or, or selling. And in 2024, you need to do that for uh, all the new car, uh, all the existing cars that you are selling. And that's the UNECE R155 and 156 regulations. And for um, IoT devices, already in Europe, we have something called Radio Equipment Directive, which is permission to go into the mar European market uh, if your product is connected to the internet. And that will be mandatory. The security part will be mandatory for uh, at 2024. So those are the real things that you have to comply if you want to keep selling your product. And if it's 2024, then probably you have to do something or be ready uh, about a year ago. And if we see all the past projects that we've been doing, a lot of companies didn't even think about cybersecurity when they are doing their design. They might think, ah, in 2024, then it's five generations later of my product. But actually, for security, you have to think about it now and look at your design and start to have security by design in your product. And the best way is to start today and ask a, a lab, a security evaluation lab, to look at the, your solution and start to tell you uh, to do a gap analysis on how far you are from those uh, regulations. And it's really not too late because we see that company really needs one or two years to change their process and their device and design to comply to security regulation. 
you know what, you're saying a word that is very interesting to me, and that is regulations. So I know that across the world, you know, in different regions, different countries, there are different mandatory regulations. But my question is, is there a common thread that ties all of these regulations together, that ties all of these ideas? And what are those common threads? Yes, luckily they are, and I'm glad that people do not want to invent the wheel every time that they see a problem. Uh, but it is scattered. If we look at IoT security regulations, we can see more than 500 uh, security regulations or requirements related to IoT, whether from countries or from industries or from a certain uh, company. and. Although they are all different or required by different uh, scheme or certification body, we can see common threads between all the requirements. For IoT device, I think the base is the Etsy EN3036645 regular requirements. And we can see like, like Singapore or other countries, India, they're all building their IoT security requirements on that. For medical, we have something international called IMDRF, and we can see that American FDA, uh, the Chinese NMPA, or the Korean and Japan regulations to also be built on top of those things. So at this moment, it's a bit scattered like we what we saw in for the high assurance world after the Second World War, um, but we are forming then between the different requirements from different countries and forming them to something we had like common criteria, but we will have new things for medical, for automotive that can be done once and help our customers to satisfy the requirements of and regulations of different areas. Because of your wealth of experience and because I'm curious. I'm wondering if you have any examples of companies, you don't need to name names, uh, that experienced a cybersecurity issue and the steps that they took with your help to mitigate those risks. Yes, definitely. And uh, of course, we the projects and, and the customer, we cannot really share, but we can share about the experience of going through this process with our customers. So if I take medical example, medical devices, a lot of time when we just got a request from our customer, we noticed that they don't even have a risk assessment based on cybersecurity threats. So they are all used to safety hazards, we call that, to, to make their risk assessment. But they don't look at cybersecurity, the possible ways to attack your product and make risk assessment based on that, which is a basic requirement for uh, regulations or requirements like uh, the American FDA for medical devices. And without that, you cannot do the the security by design. You cannot really follow the threats of doing the vulnerability analysis of your security functionalities, doing your evaluation and testing based on the severity of the risks that this vulnerability and security functionality presents. And that's uh, what we are helping with our customers and also echoes back a bit to my answer before why people should start early because to be able to think uh, again about the risk assessment of your product and medical devices, some people have thousands of different products uh, or some companies have thousands of different products related to security. You, you really have to have a new process to, to do that. And that's from our experience with uh, working with companies to share with all the audience from if you have, you know that you are going to have um, security requirements or mandatory requirements you're facing, do it today and contact your friendly neighborhood lab uh, to, to understand what you have to do. You are friendly for sure. And I'm hoping that in this final question, you're going to address one of my favorite terms, which is security hygiene. What is it? Yes, we talk about security hygiene as um, like normal hygiene. When, when we say hygiene, you just think about brushing your teeth or washing your hands. Those are the basic things that you need to do to protect yourself from sickness and, and things like that. So we talk about security hygiene. That is the basic things that we should do to avoid maybe 70 or 80 or 90% of 
the cybersecurity attack that we're facing. Things that is so basic, like don't use default bad password or that device demands you to change your default password to a very difficult or rather complex uh, password instead of just one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight. So that alone will already help you uh, avoid many of the, the cybersecurity attack. And, and that's the things that most of the regulatory bodies or countries, they are creating. The EN303645 is the basic set of security requirements for IoT or connected devices. And that's also what we see a bit strange for me, a very strange things in, in the market that even for this kind of basic things, people trying to save money and just don't want to make sure they are satisfying these requirements. I think that will be lying to ourselves uh, and, and just put our heads in the sand and then think cybersecurity attack will never happen to, to us. And that's also what SGS Brightside uh, wants to support the industry in really raising the bar, raising the minimum bar of security for connected devices. You know what, Kaifan Chan, this has been a fantastic way to kick off our SGS live session about cybersecurity, the shifting sandstorm. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. Great to be here. Our next guest is the Global Head of Strategy and Business Development, who coincidentally holds a master's degree in computer, sci computer science, which I think is going to be very helpful for this discussion. Please welcome Willie Fabricius. Thank you very much for having me. Willie, this is fantastic to be able to talk to you. Okay, I have heard the term Information Security Management System, or ISMS. What is it? Well, it's actually a, a question we hear quite often, and that tells me that there is really a need for people to, to understand what it is, because, well, if, if a lot of people don't know it, then, then it's, it's a good opportunity. So first of all, let's decompose the phrase information security management system. So let's start with the word information. What, what is information? Well, ISO actually defines information as everything of value. So now, obviously, I'm not talking about the value of this pen, right? But right. information value. So if, if I have a recipe, if I have an IP address, if I have an email address, that information has value to a certain degree, of course, right? So it's really about protecting everything with regard to information we have. And then the, the portion of the management system is, well, a management system is actually a set of rules and regulations. Many people say a management system is a governance system, a system that allows an organization to have repeatable, consistent processes. So information security management system is a management system that allows an organization to have solid governance to ensure repeatable processes in order to protect the information they have. Okay. So along those lines, can you please tell me why an organization would implement an ISMS? There are a couple of reasons why an organizations might do that. A, very simple. They are requested by their customers to do so. And why, why would customers require their suppliers to do that? Well, it's, it's about assurance. Yes, every organization has hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers. So which organization has the resources? to really assess the information security posture, the information security level of maturity for all of their hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers. Well, honestly, nobody. I mean, e even the biggest companies in the world, and I have no problems mentioning names because everybody knows them, like Apple and Microsoft, they don't have enough resources themselves to assess the thousands of suppliers they have. So they have a fall back onto this notion of, well, if there is an external party that can assess 
our supplier's information security management system to some kind of a standard, then that's good enough for us. So there comes then this, this certification of the ISMS. There comes then the, the notion of the ISO 27001, which, by the way, has just been updated yesterday. So we are now on the third edition of the standard. Uh, and, and obviously, in the interest of full disclosure, I need to admit I'm a little bit biased because I'm sitting on some of those committees writing that standard. So it's very, very close to my heart. And I'm in that field for the last, I don't know, 25 years or so. But fundamentally, an implemented and later on then certified 27001 management system provides a certain level of confidence, assurance to the organization's customers. And last but not least, to the management team, to the board of directors. You know, at, at the end of the day, I think everybody on the board level is now, I wouldn't say paranoid, but at least knowledgeable of the fact that cybersecurity and information security is paramount. So the board people will then obviously ask the people in the company, how are we doing? Where are we? Are, are we okay? Well, trust me. If you just say, trust me, it's not sufficient. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it, it's much, much better to go to an outside party like SGS as an accredited certification body, assessing your ISMS, assessing your governance system, and then, well, document that on a certificate that you then can share with all interested parties. Okay, Willie, I um, you said a term that I'm not sure I understand, and that is accredited certificate body. First of all, what is that? And um, uh, how is it of benefit to a business to be engaged with such a body? Sure. I'd like to speak in examples. Okay. Let's say, PG, you and I come up with this great idea to, to go to a restaurant and have dinner together. And then we say to the restaurant, good stuff. Well, how good is that? I mean, are we really experts in assessing the quality, the safety, the food safety of a restaurant? Maybe, maybe not. But okay. frankly speaking, you and I are not known in the industry as food review experts, restaurant review experts. So if we say that, frankly speaking, it has no value whatsoever. So the question is, what is the value of the certificate if it comes from PG and Willing? Uh, nil, nothing, absolutely nothing. So therefore, there is this concept of certification bodies like SGS are being approved, are accredited to deliver this kind of services from accreditation bodies. And in many countries, there's only one because it's embedded into the law that there shall be only one accreditation bodies. Uh, in, in some countries like the United States, there, there might be more than one, and that's okay. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's this, this oversight body, the accreditation bodies, accredited certification bodies, which then in turn give the certificate, assess the organization's management system, and then issue the certificate if if all the requirements of the applicable standard have been fulfilled. Now, you say this accreditation body, so that there's one in Germany and one in the UK and one in, the, in, in Japan, how, how does that work? Well, they are coming together on what is called the IAF, the International Accreditation Forum. And all these accreditation bodies from the different countries have mutually recognition. That, that means that if, let's say, you are in the United States and you go to SGS and SGS is accredited by the American uh, national body, accreditation body, then how, how can I now go to, to Japan and say, well, I'm accredited by ANB or SGS and blah, blah, blah. Well, there is that mutual recognition. So in, in other words, if you go to an accredited certification body like SGS, you get a certificate and on the certificate, you actually have two logos from the CB, the certification body, as well as the AB, the accreditation body. And if you have that, then you can be sure that this certificate has value. If you don't have a logo from an accreditation body on your certificate, it's like 
I just printed it out on my printer. Here we go. <laughs> Which is where our restaurant reviews come from, right? Yours and mine, exactly. Um, speaking of being sure, I am sure you're going to like this next question because it's about ISO 27001 which you were just talking about and that is close to your heart. Um, can you tell me more specifically, what is it and how has it evolved? Yes. It started many, many years ago, 17, 18, 20 years ago. There was that recognition that information is getting more and more prevalent and needs to be protected. Then there was a national standard in the UK a British standard 7799, which then evolved later on into the first ISO 27001 system or standard. And as I, you know, happily shared with the, with the community was the revised standard was published yesterday. But fundamentally, that document, that standard helps an organization to implement globally recognized best practices. And it starts actually with very simple questions like context of the organization. Who are we? And you said, don't people know that? Well, maybe not really. Because part of that question, who are we, context of the organization is establishing the expectations and requirements of interested parties. And I would like to emphasize Interested parties is not just customers, it's stakeholders, it's shareholders, it's employees, it's board members, it's investors, maybe even our community around us. So once we have established the requirements and expectations of those interested parties concerning the information we have and the kind of information we need to protect, we then can do a risk assessment in terms of what is the, the chance that there is some kind of confidentiality issue with regard to that information? Is it possible that the information is stolen, extracted from us and, you know, shared somewhere? Is it possible that somebody hacks our system and changes the values? So the integrity of the data. Remember the example we heard earlier about the pacemaker? That's a yep. classical example of integrity of data. The physician, the doctor programmed the pacemaker to a particular rate or whatever, right? Or the, the insulin pump to a certain milliliter per hour thing. And now the integrity of the data is manipulated from the outside so that it's now doing something dangerous. But then there's also the, the third component is availability. Uh, just imagine you, you, you go to your bank's website and you log in and it says, PJ, your account is not available. Go on. Hmm, Log out, log in. PJ, can't find your account. Now your, your heart starts beating, <laughs> right? Sure. It, and if that happens four days in a row, you are at the branch. Yeah. <laughs> you're, One you're day in a row. Physically, personally, <laughs> yeah. going to the bank, right? So yeah. that, that's about then availability. So we have confidentiality, integrity, availability that needs to be protected. Once we have identified the risk, then we can identify mitigating controls, mitigating things that can be used to reduce the risk. And I really would like to emphasize it's about reduction of risk and not elimination of risk. In you know why? It's because it's the shifting sandstorm, you know, exactly. on cybersecurity. So my next question is, and I... I really would appreciate it if you could sort of connect the dots and tell me how ISO 27001 comes back, you know, into this cybersecurity. How do those two sort of concepts connect? Right. I, I think this is an excellent question because on a regular basis, people are confused about cybersecurity, information security. How does this work together? Well, information security is actually the umbrella term that encompasses cybersecurity because, well, we are talking, right? And that's information. Well, the fact that we are using internet connectivity, yes, that's cyber, right? But we could have the very, very same conversation at that restaurant we are reviewing, right? And then there is no technology involved, but information still would be exchanged 
So information security is actually more than just cybersecurity. Now, in terms of shifting sandstorm, things change, right? Who, who would have thought about cloud computing 25 years ago? Who would have thought about Bluetooth 15 years ago? And so on and so forth. So technology is changing. Applications are changing. Uh, application of that technology is changing. And then an information security management system being the governance system needs to be updated on a regular basis to address changes. So 27001 once again says that an organization needs to do that pretty much on a regular basis. Ha! Ah, so a legislation is in place. We identify the legislation as a requirement. Fast forward six months later, there is a court that makes a decision concerning that legislation. Well, we need to be aware of that so that we can update our ISMS, our information security management system, to reflect those changes. So a governance system will give the organization the necessary tools to be constantly up to date with their obligations. Okay, so this is obviously such an interesting topic and very complex, but when we're looking at the regulatory landscape, um, are you able to comment how this has um, influenced or shaped industries? So regulatory landscape, we, we heard already about the, the FDA and the American and European medical device directives, but there, there are other rules and regulations that might apply. So for example, here in the United States, the Department of Defense came up with their own information security assessment methodology, uh, CMMC. And then the German car industry has their own information security assessment methodology regime, TISEX. And you say, just hold on, as an organization, how, how can I manage that? I mean, most organizations are, are not just delivering their parts to a single industry, right? My example would be a valve. A valve can, you know, small little valve, a couple of millimeters in, in diameter, can, can easily be used in the famous <laughs> pacemaker, can be easily used in, in the insulin pump, but also can be used in a, in a car uh, for some kind of fluid control. And it, by the way, can, can be used in a, in a weapon system, so military. Right? So, so all of a sudden, that very same valve could be in medical, in automotive, as well as in defense. And now this organization, that valve manufacturer needs to be compliant with information security requirements, cybersecurity requirements from three different industries. How do you manage that? Governance system, management system that encompasses all those uh, because that allows you to really be uh, agile and, and adaptable. And unfortunately, it's not getting easier because frankly speaking, information security, cybersecurity is considered now in many, many countries, national security. So without information security, you're already in violation of some kind of regulatory requirements with regard to national security. Not only that, you're clearly vulnerable, right? So Absolutely. Willie, thank you so much for joining me. This has been just another piece in a piece of the puzzle in our discussion about cybersecurity, the shifting sands sand storm. That's a hard one to say. But anyway, thank you so much for joining thank me. So I'm going to come back for our Q&A. So again, wonderful. And if you're just joining us, I have spoken already with two of my SGS experts, Kaifan Chung and Willie Fabricius, and we've been talking about cybersecurity, the shifting sandstorm. We are going to turn our attention now to our third SGS expert. Uh, and this is Mr. Hawaja Faisal, who is a regular speaker at global events, and he's been heading the certification operations at SGS Pakistan for the last 22 years. Welcome, Faisal. Thank you very much, Vijay. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here, and I want to get right into it because I want to talk about digital trust. What is it, and why do we need it? Yeah, that's a very good question. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks for the intro. 
as Willie has already explained a lot of things, similarly, my friend Kai. So this is all contributing towards a bigger landscape that is digital trust. It's a buzzword now. I, I heard it about, uh, let's say, two, three years back. But at that time, before the COVID era, but it emerged as something which is getting more and more important due to the COVID, uh, after the COVID, during the COVID, people have to go online. A lot of digital transformation was done in the last two years, which we would have been thinking to do it in 10, 15 years. Even yeah. a simple shopkeeper was going online because he, it's a case of a survival. So if you put the uh, in, on Google, the digital trust, you will find more than 5 billion results. So you can imagine how much critical this topic is getting. Uh, similarly, let's first define, I would say, trust and before we jump onto the digital trust. So the trust is something you have a confidence in someone. Whatever he's saying, you adopt it because you know him. And sometimes you, you talk to someone who is not known to you, whatever, how much you clearly you talk to him, might be he's not understanding or you are not understanding what he's communicating. So it's Trust is, is basically facilitating our communication uh, in, in one way or the other. So uh, digital is also communication, a way of communication, what we are doing right now. And uh, that's, that's exactly, we, we want to define it in a way. There are a lot of definitions, by the way. I said 5 billion, uh, what you call, links you get. But some of the organizations are very seriously working on it. And they are developing some frameworks, some kind of uh, what you call uh, clear lines to which the organization can adopt, apart from these different standards, as my, my friend Willie has already spoken about. So uh, I will take one of the definitions, which is, says a digital trust is a confidence in the integrity of the relationships, interactions, and transactions that provide that the providers and consumers have amongst them each other and this definition is covering a, a, a integrity and this integrity by the way the willie has explained to you the integrity of information availability of information and the confidentiality of information that is what is information security that you protect all of these but this integrity is in the common world which you call how much what what you are saying you are and what you are pretending you are, are, are you actually in that space? In the online world, we cannot see. We cannot shake hand with our customers, with our suppliers. So if you pick up the newspaper, you will immediately be confronted with a lot of headlines, fading trust in the banks, corporations, relationships. Just to quote you an example, in the last three, four years, the same hotel chain was hacked three times, three to four times. And now you can imagine... If I am going to stay there, because we travel a lot, and I will be thinking twice to stay there first. And if I have to go, I will be reluctant to share my passport or anything because they have faced the data breach of highest magnitude. So this is something which is similarly, if I give you a very simple example of uh, online shopping, that you buy, place an order, and they don't have it in the stock, they will ship you a wrong item in order that you remain their customer and whenever you you they already know that you will return it and by that time they can ship you the original content so this is the distrust so, so the definition is you see yeah i was just going to say i have a bit of a follow-up question because what you're saying is so timely and it's it's just so universal but when we're talking about digital trust is there a way that you can give me maybe I don't know, a list of attributes or the recipe that people have to follow in order to achieve digital trust? Exactly. So if you see, just to give you another example so that I move on to the uh, the point which you have highlighted, what is the recipe, just to highlight that. There are 2.5 quintillion bytes of data that are produced daily. Quintillion bytes, which is equivalent to 1 billion gigabytes or 1 million terabytes. By the way, for your audience, you have maximum hard drive capacity in your system for one terabyte. So we are talking about 1 million terabytes of data are being posted daily. So you wow. can imagine the magnitude of data we are putting up on the, on the, on the digital world. A single Facebook like will give, will, will give you an amount of information about your political views. 
and as someone can see your what you are posting on Twitter, on Facebook, on on LinkedIn, it will automatically he can build a profile, and that profile can be used to do marketing, which I believe is some sort of a with trust because I am sharing that information on a on a website which is trusted to be not sharing it again. Similarly, since you are going into the into the what you call online business, a lot of things are going online like telehealth. A doctor can see can what you call diagnose your symptoms by talking to you on this video call. Plus, recently there have been an operation done by a doctor virtually sitting, and the other doctors were performing the procedure. So similarly, the bank account can be open on the mobile. So all, all in all, the use of this technology and interconnectivity is creating highest concerns. As Kai has mentioned, the IoT devices. Just to give you a very uh, prudent example, recently I saw a baby doll toy, which was connected to the internet. The parents have connected it so that they can see also their their child while they are at work, and the, yeah. she can play also. And that doll was hacked, and it hit the child by the person who was hacking. He was making to use it in a in a bad way. So these smart toys which are connected. So now coming to the point, how to do it? How to get this uh, thing in control? And what is the recipe? What is the thing behind it? So it's all in all. It's there are certain factors to be considered. I would say, as you said, ingredients to the recipe: that reliability ethics, your credibility, your governance system, the transparency in whatever you are declaring and whatever you are producing and whatever you are servicing, security, how secure and safe you have producing and providing the services, the integrity, and most important these days is the privacy. If I am sharing a data with you for, for the survey and you have said that you are getting the survey to do some analysis, but if you are selling it that my personal data to someone, so who can pay you and that and then he will start starting set, uh, sending me spam emails or something so that is something which is creating distrust so the all of these elements which i've narrated they 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 are basically the piece of a big what you call cake which which is digital trust yeah so uh, so that's that's the main area and uh, by the way the consumers these days 78% of the consumers they say that we will be continuing to do business with the organization who can disclose if there's an incident, they will clearly come back to us that something has happened and they are taking the full responsibility and making sure the things are under control. But if you're keeping the things under the carpet, it will be again a distrust. You know what, as they always say, the truth will out. So you may as well just go with it. Okay, I love your analogy of baking a cake. So who within an organization is responsible for baking that digital trust cake? Yeah, that's that's a very uh, what you call since in the, in this field so since last, which you can say, uh, twenty eight years overall, and doing this audits and trainings twenty two years and playing with these standards. And by the way, as Willie has said, twenty seven thousand one is very close to my heart also. And Great. since it was released last night, I have got more than 100 messages that we not we want a new copy. That means the people are so much involved in it. And so uh, and even when we talk, uh, teach the standard, but there is a, always a question of responsibility. So the CEO can't be responsible for everything. Uh, sure. But to be honest, uh, he can be accountable, but everyone has to play his role at, all, at their level. And to my, to, if you take my opinion, I would say the product owner or the service owner who is developing the product, who is developing the service to be delivered, he must be starting it from the start, from the scratch, from the from the design, development, and all phases of his uh, his product life cycle. And similarly, we don't want to create a committee. <laughs> you know, committees and the meetings they doesn't bring something which is very very important because of this fast pacing of work. So what uh, we normally should used to do is we should be having security and privacy by design, as I said, and responsibility start from the start, start to the end. And on the other side, let's start, forget for the technology for a while. What about marketing department? They are posting a lot of posts on the, on the social media. 
They are yeah. developing new brochures, marketing brochures. They need to create a trustworthiness right from the start. What they are saying, they are believing in it. What they are saying, they are doing it. So similarly, the HR, they need to communicate very clear policies to the employees that what, are, what they can do, what they cannot do. So all these things combined creates a responsibility at all levels, and especially in the supply chain. Your, your suppliers who are providing you certain certain amount of uh, services which you con contributed to your services, they also need to be trustworthy because you are sharing a lot of data with them for your customers. If they are not secure, they will lose data. Ultimately, you will be responsible for that. So I think this is what the responsibility for everyone in true sense. Okay, got it. All right, I want to know in your opinion, um, how can digital trust be ensured? And can you give me some examples of the process? And also, let's talk a little bit about standards. Um, what are they and can they help customers to establish digital trust? Exactly. Very good question, really. You see, the main thing, as I said, all these ingredients which I have described in the last answer, that these can only be coming by having an effective governance system. Which, which can govern the whole entire digital trust program. And it discovers this robust security, privacy, and risk and assurance systems in your organization so that you become digitally trustworthy. And uh, I would say that they, apart from these, all of these technical things, there are standards. You, you, you have seen that Kai has mentioned in the toy, we do as SDS do certification for the toy, whether they are safe and secure. And similarly, the mark on that, the CE marking, which contributes the security and which, which makes it, gives the confidence to the, to the audience or the consumer that this product is safe and secure. So these standards play a very critical role in establishing all these ingredients. And uh, the most popular definitely is what really has mentioned, 27001, the Information Security Management System. And then we have some other standards in the same series, which is talking about business continuity, because everyone in, in the consumer side, everyone getting your services, he or she wants that you continue to deliver the services in whatever case you are facing and on your side. If your disaster is on my side, they must not suffer. So this is what the reliability is. This is what the resilience is. So there are standards which can help you out to plan preemptively something is happening. And I, by the way, I think the world has known a lot in the last two years that what business continuity and resilience is, that you were not prepared. Only 21% of the organization has a business continuity or resilience plan in place. If they had it, only 10% have tested it preventively. If they have tested it, nobody have taken this scenario into, into, their, into their testing that there could be such a situation that everyone is locked down and nobody yes. can come to the office and everyone has to go online. So this is very interesting. There are standards and they will help you in establishing all the ingredients. Plus, very important, they will restore the confidence of the consumer into your product, into your services. For uh, Similarly, as you uh, when you buy a mobile set, if it is CE marked, if it is certified, you know this is called product certification. At the same time, 27001 and other standards which we are talking, they are system certifications. You have a system which produces consistent security, reliability, resilience, and at the same time, the quality of service which you are delivering. So that overall makes and uh, ensures that the confidence of the consumer is there. And by the way, the final words, what exactly it gives you, repeat business if you want repeat business you need to ensure the trust is there in all the ways the what you commit you deliver and if you cannot you openly claim you openly accept and say to the customer so that's that's the final word you know in so many ways unexpectedly uh, the the events of the last two and a half years have really started to push us forward in ways that we did not anticipate but nevertheless I kind of like to see it as the silver lining between behind all of this so Faisal I want to thank you for the outstanding information and for your passion on the subject it's so exciting I'm going to welcome back our other two guests Kai Fan Chung and Willie Fabricius because we're going to have a bit of a Q&A but before that what I want to say is 
you know what? This has been such great information. And we're going to do a little bit of a trivia question. I'm going to test you guys just a little bit. But you probably already know the answer. I mean, let's face facts. But this is a trivia question that I came up with that I thought was fascinating. So if I was going to ask you, what is the global average cost in U.S. dollars in 2022 of a data breach for a large business? So answer number one. $800,000. Answer number two, $2.7 million. Answer number three, $4.35 million. So I want to know, what do you think that our, our audience would have answered? You know, if you've got an audience out there, someone's watching, I mean, I thought $800,000 was a whole lot of money for a large business to have to dedicate to, uh, you know, cleaning up um, a data breach. But what do you think a general audience person would answer? I'm going to ask you, Willie, first. I think that the general population would be on your side. Yeah. And w would have assessed uh, and, and said the same thing. Uh, but for for the three of us here from the you STS know. side, <laughs> you know, regardless of, of the number, we think in scale, right? And going back to that famous restaurant you and I were talking about earlier. With a uh, review. That we reviewed, but now let's say that they have a data breach. Okay. So what kind of information do they have? Well, among others, our credit card information, right? Yeah. So Yours, how many actually, guests? not mine. Yours. No, you, you, you invited me. Oh, okay. Fine, uh, mine. Um, <laughs> so they, they have, what, 100 guests per day, uh, 365 days, right? But So they have... I don't know, let's say 30,000 credit cards information. And and maybe they store that over three years, so they have whatever. Right? And so they are getting breached, and, and all that information is, is being shared on, on the internet. Well, all of a sudden, they, they have the obligation to, to notify the authorities in, in whatever country they are. They have to notify the, the customers that the data was breached. And by the way, uh, it's it's now also required and expected that they do uh, credit monitoring for the next two years, which means per person twenty dollars. All right, well it's just twenty bucks per person. No, 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 times thirty thousand. Uh, so even for a small restaurant, that could be a huge amount of money. Now, when you say big company, large company, multinational company, uh, sorry, it, it, even the four million doesn't cut it. It, it well, goes easily the in the hundreds of millions. Here is the answer. People may be surprised to find out that the average cost for a data breach in U.S. dollars in 2022 for a large business is $4.35 million. And by the way, that is up almost 13% in the last two years. So Faisal, when you were talking about how much more online business people are doing, you know, as a result of what's been going on recently, there you go. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's the point I was highlighting. This is the amount which was, uh, and especially during the COVID period, uh, the level of attacks raised, especially for ransomware, 632% rise in the ransomware attack in the last two years. People took this COVID information as one of the phishing email, and the people yep. were going in and doing, and they were they were trapped in that particular. How much? How many people have been? facing COVID in US, in Pakistan, in anywhere. So they click on that link. Many people, many organizations I know were hacked and they were unable to recover. Some some very sophisticated organizations, they face a lot of difficulties. Just to give you a very simple example, the security companies, which are devising certain security software, which we use in our systems to secure ourselves, yep. and they were hacked and they were they they used to send updates to the customers regular basis. Those updates were malicious, and the people that trusting them, those organization was trusting to the supplier because they used to send it, and it was malicious, and they were caught in the ransomware. And now they they stole they encrypted the data, they blackmailed them to pay for the ransom not only for decrypting it but also that they will not sell it to the uh, in the black world. And then consequently, the third level is they attack their customers. And do, did the same because they already had this particular malicious code in their systems. So you can imagine the, the landscape is increasing and that organization has to go into this these standards adoption because they gives a lot of confidence and they also give them the confidence that they are serving in a secure manner.
So Kaifan, I'm going to come to you for a bit of an extra question, a bonus question for me. I know that we spoke in general terms about security, but from your perspective, what are the immediate priorities for any enterprise and how do you help them? Core SGS, of course. <laughs> no, but uh, joking aside, uh, it's very important to know where you stand. Uh, if you're in a shifting sandstorm, first you have to see where you stand, what your equipments are, and how to survive this sandstorm. And, and that's exactly what I think the, the companies should do. They should look at their own practice, looking at what they have to satisfy, maybe in one year or two years, or maybe immediately, and start to act, start to do something, and not waiting for some, some, some big issue happens or the big liability uh, disasters coming your way. So definitely contact SGS, uh, your friendly uh, neighboring uh, testing, testing certification uh, organization, and uh, start to look at uh, where you stand and the security of your product. And we are the expert on also all the different regulations in everywhere in the world. And let us know what, what you want to achieve and we can support you from there. And please understand that this is necessary. It's not optional any longer. It's just part of the cost of doing business. So Faisal, I'm going to come to you for a moment. I want to know if you can share with me some of the benefits uh, to an organization uh, with digital uh, concerning digital trust. And so let's talk about those benefits, including ROI. Yeah, ROI, return on investment. Yes, this is the yeah. main, main question every management wants to know how much we are spending and what we are getting back. And the ROI you have seen, if you are not doing something, you will face 400 million of deficit in one record breach. So uh, what when you deploy a digital trust, the number one is the efficiency. I remember I read a Stephen Covey book somewhere back, The Speed of Trust. And it says that the speed of trust gives you better benefit in earning the trust of the people and making more revenue. And it is directly linked with the cost. The cost, the more the trust you have, the less the cost and more speed. That means speed to market, speed to go into the, into, into the field while you develop something. Second is the relationship with the customer. As I said, repeat business, lifetime customers, everyone with if you are if you are dealing with someone with trustworthy and he felt that you have not ditched him he will say hey you want to buy a mobile go to this this site go to this website they offer well, good services they if you have some problem they will return it so as soon as you you have a trust your cost will get lower this is what this uh, this and just to give you an example the speed of trust the example given is 911 before 9-11 at the airports, we used to pass by security in 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And now it takes around five hours. You need to go early at the, at the, at the airport. That was the lack of trust. Before we had trust and the, the authorities have trust in the people, but now they have lost it. This lower trust increased the cost of operation, delayed the operation, and the customer are facing a lot of problems. Although one person who could have been a terrorist, but more than billion people in the world are suffering at the airports. I am one of them is in front, is sitting in front of you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, Willie, I'm going to come to you sort of as a final wrap-up question, and I want to turn the page and, and speak about SGS specifically. Can you tell me how long it would take for a new customer to come to SGS with an issue and then to walk away with a certificate in hand? Well, that's that. That's another million-dollar question. It depends, okay. and, and and obviously it depends upon all kinds of parameters, right? So, from is it a small company, ten people, one site, the system is implemented, ready to be certified, three months. Uh, is it a multi-billion-dollar company operating in 120 countries, no system implemented? Well, that will take a couple of centuries. Uh, but kid kidding aside, on average, on average, we, we are saying something like between nine and 12 months is a good period of time to consider, assuming that there is some fundamental base management system already in place. The organization knows 
what is management review, what is internal audit. And then we would go in and offer the organization a voluntary, I need to emphasize that, pre-assessment, pre-audit to establish whether they are really on track. And then we would go into the stage one, stage two audit that then would be assessing the organization whether they are fulfilling the management system or whether the management system of the organization fulfills the requirements of ISO 27001. And that, that is really not, not that long, but it really depends upon the readiness, the, the maturity of the ISMS. Okay, to my audience, I promised you an interesting and informative and engaging session, and we delivered. So I would like to thank my guests, Kaifan Chung, Faisal Hawaja, and Willie Fabricius for joining me today to talk about cybersecurity, the shifting sandstorm. You've been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks, PJ. Thanks, PJ. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. And to everybody else, I just want to remind you that if you're looking for more information, make sure you visit our website, sts.com. You can leave questions and comments in the chat below. And we're looking forward to seeing you again on another STS Live. But for now, I'm PJ Kwong. Thank you for watching. Bye for now. <laughs>